episode 168, Students Lead the Way. Hey, y'all. I'm Casey Bell of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educator's podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hey, hey, elite educators, it's Gretchen here of Always a Lesson. And thank you for tuning in again. Another week, another lesson. Elite just really describes someone that invests in themselves each and every day. They go above and beyond what's required of them. And you love honing your craft so much that you spend your extra time tuning into podcasts like this to learn some more tips and tricks, hopefully avoid the pitfalls that I have endured, and come out even better and stronger for our kids. So thank you for doing your best every day. This podcast episode is especially for new teachers as we talk about the importance of allowing your students to lead your decision making so that you can reach them best. It's a harsh lesson I have learned in multiple scenarios, which I'll share with you in this episode. I do think it's important for every educator to tune in and learn this important lesson. Let's reignite your passion and potential. You ready? Here we go. Hey, did you know that this past week, folks around the world were celebrating International Podcast Day? Shout out to all my Edgy Podcast Network peeps who work hard every week to bring you high-quality education-related content. I highly suggest sometime this week you try a podcast of any type, any kind. I've actually found out that I enjoy thrillers, like Unsolved Cases type thing, One I just finished was called Up and Vanished, and that's actually about an educator, so you might want to check that one out. But I also love business podcasts like Amy Porterfield's Online Marketing Made Easy. But, you know, it just helps me not think about education 24-7, so listening to a variety of topics definitely helps me escape. Uh, Let's see. In the past, I have loved season one of The Mentee, that's by Jeff Woods, and The Learning Leader by Ryan Hawk. As you can tell, I love helping others and learning how to develop my leadership skills, not just in the education realm. So I loved those two. Um, So that should give you just a mixed bag of some suggestions to try if you're looking for a new one. But listening to podcasts is a great hobby. You know, you can do it anywhere, driving, working out, doing chores, etc. Plus, you can, you know, discuss episodes with friends. It's just quick download of a button. You don't have to go to the store, buy the book, all that old school book club style stuff. (laughs) And you know that I think podcasts are the best PD out there. I've always been a reader, but listening is just so much easier in my season of life right now. It's quicker, obviously, than reading. I can multitask while I'm learning and I can just consume such a variety of topics without having to sift through, you know, physical materials. Yeah, plus, I love to hear people's voices and their personalities instead of just interpreting what they may be like reading something that they've written. So 
I pretty much love podcasts. And so your homework is to try a podcast out of your normal niche. And then when you find one that you love, let a friend know, let me know, you know, social media or through email, Gretchen at alwaysalesson.com. I want to try it too. All right. So onward to today's episode topic. My toddler is straight up schooling me on life lately. She's made me do a lot of thinking about how I should have been a more responsive educator to my students. And I realized I failed them numerous times and it's just hard to admit that. But my two-year-old pipsqueak, as I'm referring to her, really showed me the light. And I'll start by telling you what went down with her and then I'll fill you in on how that taught me a lesson about what I should have been doing in the classroom. And hopefully you can make changes now and be better for your kids instead of being like me, looking back embarrassingly, wishing you had done things differently. Sorry to all my past kiddos. I know better now. I will do better now. I hope you can forgive me. All right, so event one, potty training. (laughs) I don't know much about teaching a child how to control their bodily functions, but... I'm sure learning a lot. I mean, I read a lot. I am in so many mommy groups on Facebook. I can't even count them all. I've even asked mommy friends. So I was armed with all the information. I mean, information coming out of my ears and my husband and I set aside a weekend to just be at home because again, that was a recommendation from what I call the internet Google gods. (laughs) And we attempted this whole three-day method where miraculously on the third day, your kid just suddenly knows what to do. It sounds so ridiculous as I'm saying it to you now. I mean, it doesn't mean they're not going to have like an occasional accident, but they get it and they'll do it more reliably. So comes day three. Progress uh, was kind of at a standstill. I was frustrated, feeling defeated. I honestly wanted to cry because I have a baby on my hip while trying to do this potty training thing and it's just not going how I read it was supposed to go. You know me, I'm type A. It's like, come on. Nothing worse than failure, right? Everything I read said three days. I followed every tip to the T. So where did I go wrong? Well, we'll pick up with this story a bit later. So let's move on to the next event. Event number two. We'll call this one music class. (laughs) I hope you're enjoying listening to uh, all these stories. So my husband's colleague's wife is this classically trained opera singer. That's pretty cool. And she teaches this program called Music Together. And they offered one free slot for each instructor. They could give it away. And so she decided to give it to my toddler. And I thought that was so nice, especially because, you know, it's kind of expensive. And my toddler loves music and dancing and all things art related. So I knew this was right up her alley, or so I thought. So we show up. Everyone's in a circle, sitting nicely and quietly. You know, they listen to the teacher. They sing. They move along. And they exit happily. Well, my toddler had other plans. She ran around the room, which, by the way, was a dance studio that was a rented space. So floor to ceiling mirrors, which she had never seen before and was extremely pleased with her ever so cute self in the mirror. And between prancing around, running laps, twirling, knocking over some dancing props, I'd say she wasn't the ideal music together student. (laughs) Another failure. Total embarrassment. So much so I stayed after the class to talk to the teacher. And I'm thinking, you know, where did I go wrong? Okay, so we'll pick up with this story a bit later. So let's move on to the next and last event. Event number three, call this one preschool. 
So my toddler's birthday is late in the year, and she didn't make this August 31st cutoff, which is what's here for preschool in North Carolina. Uh, Thank goodness for these sweet little church ladies who have set up a mini preschool for those that have late birthdays, but are technically two. You know, me, a very tired mama, I appreciate this, whatever it's called, Mommy's Day Out preschool program. Well, the first few weeks went well, and then one day I just so happened to be waved out of the carpool line to come pick up my daughter, and I was pretty stoked. You know, I get to skip the line. I can get home faster. So I get out, and I'm chatting, and very quickly the conversation changed directions. I had learned my toddler had climbed the bookshelves, and yes, side note, my daughter is a climber, and I need an intervention mommy group for that. She knocked over a teacher's coffee in the process. She took off her shirt and flung it across the room. And to her defense, the teacher did tell me it was extremely hot in class that day. She ran laps in the classroom. She didn't want to sit down for long. She said no when she was asked to do things. I felt defeated again and still embarrassed. I mean, she cannot be the teacher's kid who's the worst in the class. Like, that's the ultimate nightmare. So I'm thinking again, where'd I go wrong? So we'll pick up with this story a little later, but let's go back to event one and unpack what happened. So what's weird about these three stories, you know, I'm a teacher. Why can't I get my kid to behave? You know, I'm, I mean, behavior management's what I do. It's who I am. It's my strength in the classroom. And I'm thinking, if my administrators could see me now, I wonder what they'd think. Would they think I lost my touch or I need an action plan or, you know, teaching just isn't for me anymore? Well, the answer to my question of where I went wrong is really simple. And it took a moment of reflection and kind of honestly the culmination of all these events to really help me realize what was happening. So event number one, potty training. I was so busy studying these greats or who are supposedly be the geniuses of Google and what worked for everyone else that I never once considered what was going to work for my family. Like I immediately put other people on a pedestal that they know what to do instead of thinking about my family, using my own background knowledge, listening to my gut and making decisions that way. Event number two, music class. I just expected my kid to be like everyone else. And then I was upset when she didn't conform. And event number three, preschool, I expected my kid to behave in a way that was new to her under the assumption that she'd suddenly know what to do in this new situation. So yeah, I failed her. I mean, three times simultaneously, these things were happening at the same time. I am so glad that she is too young to remember this, but I am an honest gal and I will probably confess it to her the moment she'll understand. I just can't carry that burden with me. Even if she doesn't care, I feel horrible about it. You know, I expect more of myself just as a person, um, as an educator, a mom, you know, it's time I get it together. And the point I'm trying to make with these illustrations is that you need to allow your students to lead your decision making so that you can actually reach them. You know, I wasn't considering my daughter when making any of these decisions. And if I had been, I would have approached each situation differently so that she could have been successful because after all, she is able. But I disabled her by having an expectation that she couldn't meet because the roadmap I gave her wasn't made to her specifications. It was somebody else's roadmap they threw at me and said, hey, this will work. 
And without any modifications, I just, bam, implemented it. You know, with potty training, I should have continued my approach of, you know, using her curiosity to drive the timetable. I had the mini potty. It's been in our half bath downstairs for months, you know, leading up to this training because, you know, I heard that helps get them used to this new apparatus and then they'll get curious enough. They'll want to know more. You know, I also got her this little Elmo potty book. She loves to read. And so both of those decisions were great because I was thinking about her. I knew this potty was her size. I knew she was curious. She'd want to do exactly what we're doing. Um, and she loved to read. So I definitely put her first when thinking about how to approach this situation. Where I went wrong is that I completely diverted my decision making after that to other people uninvolved in this situation instead of relying on the most important factor, my kid, who's going to be doing the changing. And so once I moved the potty into the living room, and stopped forcing her to sit on it in this room far away from her toys and her favorite Disney shows and where everyone else was hanging out, her attitude changed and she started to take ownership in the process. You know, she wasn't progressing because she was feeling left out. She was feeling punished having to continuously go to this place that she didn't want to be. And had I just thought about how social she is and how much she wants to be included, she never wants to miss a thing. This is why she doesn't sleep well, because <laughs> she's got FOMO. I mean, I didn't know a kid could have FOMO, but she's got it. And she's not completely trained, don't get me wrong, but we are m- so many miles from where we started. Thank God. And that's all because I said, okay, let me think about my kid. What do I know about her? Oh, She's got to go way off over here, away from the action. That's not my kid. My kid runs right to the action. You know, she doesn't want to be over there, especially when you're training. You got to keep trying constantly, you know, in 10 minute increments and 15 minute increments. And she just feels like constantly being left out. And you could see it on her face. Had I just been paying attention and stopped being such a dictator about using my timer and stuff. It's like, look, she's miserable. And she's two. Like, this is ridiculous. Stop. She's a child. So then there's music class. I should have not been surprised that my child moved around the room because she's a mover and she's a shaker. You know, that's her through and through. Why is that shocking to me? She's not going to sit and listen for hours on end because, one, she's two years old. And since she's been on this earth for those two years, she's never sat. She's not a sitter. She will not sit at a table and color for hours. That is not her thing. My other kid, yes, she will sit and color. This child... No, she is what most Southerners called busy. (laughs) She's not hyper or, you know, lacking attention. She's just on the move. She's ready for the next thing. She's not a chill, relaxed kid. You know, she hates to nap. She thinks she's missing out on fun. She likes activity after activity after activity. What's new? You know, like I said, very curious, wants to take the world in. Once she's kind of figured out a puzzle, she won't even finish it. She's like, okay, I see how that works. Let's move on to something else. She's just got a growing mind and wants to learn, learn, learn and eat up as much new information as possible. It's really invigorating for her. It's who she is. So why would she be any different in this music class? She's not. And I am so glad that I decided to talk to the teacher afterwards. I mean, she wouldn't even let me apologize to her for my daughter's behavior. She reminded me that one, kids are kids and they learn differently. I mean, I know this cognitively, but like when you're in the moment and it's with your kid, you get disappointed. Like, 
why are they not doing what they're supposed to? How's this happening to me? Why don't I have any control? And she's right. My kid does learn differently. I mean, I joke about it to other people about how different she is, especially in a setting with other kids. You can tell that she's just so uber social and wants to help and be part of everything. You know, she's not going to sit like a bump on a log. It's just not her thing. And she also reminded me, hey, she's two. She's not going to sit for lengthy periods of time. That's so normal. And I felt like the teacher at this point was just, you know, kind of saying all the right things, trying to make me feel better. And I'm kind of half smiling until I had time to really digest it and be like, you know what? She's right. And I'd say the same thing to another parent. I was kind of worried this was all going to lead to, you know, disinviting us <laughs> to cl- back to class. But she went on to tell me something I will never forget and I will surely never take for granted. As an educator, I can really appreciate this insight and her ability to pay closer attention than I could as a parent. You know, I'm so emotionally connected to the situation that my perspective is tainted. And so I now get why my students' parents will look at me crazy when I was telling them, you know, let go of the reins at home. Let your kids step up to the game. And they were looking at me like, no, my kid's not ready. And I'm like, yes, they are. And so this teacher kind of put me in my place and helped me see things from a new angle. And she said she was listening. She was mimicking the movements. She was singing the words. Although it was while she was running around the room and twirling in the mirror, she was absolutely paying attention. And that's when it hit me. I'm like, you are so right. My kid learns differently. Like she'll probably be the kid in class that stands at her desk while she's learning, but she'll have her hand raised. She'll be participating. She may constantly be chatting and move her behavior clip a bunch of times, but I guarantee it's sinking in and she's getting what she needs. It's just, she doesn't want to probably sit while doing it. You know, she's not a bad kid. She's really not a behavior problem. Maybe on the outside, that's what you would initially think. But she just learns through doing things, like physically moving. When I think about that day, those other kids might have been sitting and behaving, but they actually weren't the ones doing the learning. I mean, they weren't retaining the songs and the movements and everything that was going on in class. They were just kind of sitting ducks. My kid... My wildly loving life toddler was singing along, moving along, using the instruments just like the teacher did. So at the end of the day, what do I want? Do I want my kid to learn or do I want my kid to comply? Well, I want her to learn. And if it means she stands when everyone sits or she moves while everyone is still, then so be it. You know, if she's not disrupting the program and the other kids and she's gaining the skills she needs then I'm okay with it. And I realize that's a really fine line. And this is kind of a wake up call for me to definitely be on my toes and have my ducks in a row when it comes to how she's going to act in the classroom. But I have to learn to be okay with her being her. And if I want her to learn, I have to allow her to learn the way she learns best. It's not how I learn. I certainly moving would distract me. I mean, I have to stop and think, You know, I'm like the other kids. I sit still. I mind my business. I behave. You know, my husband, on the other hand, he's social. Oh, my God, so social. He loves life just like she does. So it's just running through her veins. She can't help it. 
And lastly, preschool, because of my husband's lively persona, he got kicked out of every preschool he attended because of his behavior. They were saying, no, he's not doing what we're asking. And it ended up being, he was just very bored. He's a very intelligent person. And like I was mentioning about my toddler, it's like as soon as he would figure out something, he would move on. So he would do the first couple math problems and he'd be like, oh, I get how this works. Like, I'm not doing the rest of this. You start talking to his neighbor and then they get in trouble and yada, yada. And so had his teachers kind of uncovered what was causing some of the behaviors, they realized he's not a behavior problem. It's the way he's learning. He needed some more challenge or he needed a more hands-on approach. And it's so my kid. I, I There's nothing I can do about it. You know, I used to laugh and think, oh my God, that is horrible. Your family must be embarrassed. You know, like, what did you do? And then dang, here is a daughter in my lap, like a little mini him. And as she's getting closer to preschool age, I was praying like, Lord, don't let her get kicked out of school. That'll be so embarrassing for me. So when this report came home from the teacher, I was like, oh my God, there went my freedom. She's going to be stuck at home till she's 21 because she can't learn in a classroom. She can't behave in school. But I realized I was looking at this wrong too. My daughter's always been ahead and it causes boredom, just like her dad. You know, she's super curious, very interested and quenching her thirst for whatever she's wondering about or discovering. And knowing my daughter isn't defiant and certainly does not do something to manipulate others or get a rise out of anyone, there had to be an explanation. So I went through each event in my head to try and figure out what was really going on to motivate her to do whatever it was. So, for example, the climbing. Whatever reason, since a young age, she's been a climber. She's uber strong. She's a fantastic gymnast. I'm pretty sure this is like her great gift and her talent that we'll need to kind of hone as she gets older. I do need to set boundaries and limitations, but I do need to also allow her to find joy in this hobby because again, it's unreal how awesome she is at that. Knocking over the coffee. Well, that was clearly an accident. She's not defiant by throwing things. That's that's, she is many things, but that is not one of them. Um, and I would know because I would be hit hourly with objects if she was a thrower, and she's not. So I assume she just accidentally knocked it over. Taking off her shirt, that's just so out of character. I mean, I was shocked. And it, it turns out it was a new shirt that was super itchy. And yes, it was hot in the classroom that day, and she just had to get rid of it. I mean, a pretty logical solution for a two-year-old. But the lesson to me is to not send my kid to school in new clothes before I know how she's going to react to them. And I also sent her a different day in new shoes and she tripped constantly around the classroom and ended up with this large scratch the size of Texas on her thigh. It was so bad they had to write an accident report and put it in her file. I mean, geez, mom fail all over the place. The running around the room, well, by now you know my kid. She's happy. And when she's happy, she is full of joy. She wants to jump and twirl and run. You know, she's also very fast, like very, very fast. Don't ask me how I know. That'll be a whole nother podcast episode. And she's just exploring her world. And when she learns a new trick, she does it over and over. And just running is her new phase right now. Not wanting to sit down. Well, really, that's pretty developmentally appropriate for this age. So I'm not so stressed about that. Lastly, the saying no when being asked to do things she doesn't want to do is her independent personality. 
but also a mom fail and the fact that I never placed her in a setting where she had to sit still for a long time, you know, or color at a specific time or sing songs on a particular rug or line up in alphabetical order. We haven't done that at home. You know, all of this disciplined interaction stuff is a new experience for her. And that's the whole point of sending her to school because I don't have a a brood of kids at home for her to learn some of these social skills. And so although she's bright, she does need some of these, you know, everyday skills that I just am unable to provide at home. And so don't get me wrong. It's not that I'm making excuses for her like, oh, well, this is why she did that. No, what I'm trying to do is figure out why she behaved the way she did. Because once I know why, then I can change my approach, my plan of attack, Uh, the way I instruct, the way I help her. And so when I know, you know, okay, this was defiance or this was curiosity or this was a new experience, didn't know how to act kind of thing, well, then I know what adjustments to make and I can even make suggestions to the teacher. But there's a lot I can do at home to prevent most of these things from happening had I thought about my child first you know, I know these things about her. So why I thought when she were was in these new situations, suddenly they wouldn't be a problem. It's like your kid is the way they are through and through, just like you are the same way in one situation as you are in another. You know, I really should have considered my toddler before making the decisions to put her in these programs or to go about potty training the way I did. And instead of relying on what others say or what they're doing or placing her in situations without the right tools or practice, you know, has led to these disasters. And I am the one to blame, just like an educator in a classroom would be, because you didn't set your student up for success. I can beat myself up all day if I want to because, yeah, I created the issue uh, by not preventing them. And, you know, I'm learning as a mom, too, so I do have to give myself some slack. But... I'm learning that if I want my kid to be successful, I actually have to take her into consideration. I mean, it seems so obvious and simple. And sometimes you think you know best, but heck, I went to undergrad. I went to grad school. I live and love all things education. I surround myself with brilliant educator minds, and I still failed. All because what was in front of me was ignored. So how are we going to help our kids? we got to get to know them and then design your action steps around their abilities and their personalities All I needed to do was consider three things, and I could have avoided this. I know you've enjoyed these stories. All I needed to do was consider three things. Environment, ability, personality. So environment, what about the structure of the environment could be an obstacle? Ability, what strengths and weaknesses will the child bring into this experience? And personality, what characteristics play a part in their response? So we all know I didn't consider environment, like, at all. (laughs) Otherwise, I could have put the potty in the living room from the jump and worked on structured play at home. I somewhat considered her ability. I mean, I knew she was ready for preschool and got her signed up because she needed that social aspect plus academic direction. And I knew she had a musical ear, so I paired her up with the opportunity for the music class, and she showed all the signs of being ready to potty train. So you know what? Like, as I'm thinking through that, I'm going to give myself a check mark for her ability. I think I definitely considered that. Personality, no. That was my biggest failure. I did not think about her being independent and that she'd want to do things on her own timetable and in her own way. I didn't give myself preparation time to expect, 
you know, a vibrant reaction in music class or resistance in a structured preschool class. You know, I could have warned the teacher about climbing um, and the lack of experience in this kind of a setting. I could have warned the music teacher that she, you know, loves the movie Sound of Music and twirls like she's on top of the hill and unexpectedly runs when she's excited. (laughs) But you know what? I didn't do those things. So let me just get over it. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's a waste of time. I now know moving forward before doing anything new or designing experiences myself for my daughter that I have to consider environment, ability, personality. If you need to remember it, I don't know. It spells ape (laughs) and the vegetable P (laughs) if you need some mnemonic device to remember it. But environment, ability, personality. You know, so educators learn from me and consult the star of the show, your kids. If it's about them or for them, they need to be the first one you think about. Study them, everything about them. Get to know them as people and as learners. And the quicker you can design a lesson plan with specific kids in mind, the better off you are in reaching them. And it doesn't matter what your colleagues are doing or even what you've done in the past. Every year is a new year. It's a new group of kids and it's a new version of a child as they grow and mature. So personalize the learning experience for the ones actually doing the learning. And as I was saying, you don't have to make excuses for kids' behavior, but you do have to understand there is a reason. Most kids don't come in being all wild and (laughs) you're like, you're doing this to ruin my day. You're doing this to me on purpose just because you feel like it. And it's like, no, they're really not. There is a reason. So don't make excuses, but do try and label or define the reason so that you can work backwards and say, okay, I know this child gets like this. How can I design a lesson with this in mind? Or what can I do to help avoid this reaction? Or I know this group of kids this year is this way, so I can't do this lesson the same way I've always done it. I need to take a new approach. And every time you think about your specific kids or how they act together, as we were talking about the recipe last time, with your mix of ingredients, it's going to help you not only be a better educator, but you're actually going to meet your goals of helping your kids learn because you're giving them the tools they need to be successful. My child wants to learn. She wants to be involved. She wants to be social, but we also have to teach her these other things. Well, how are we going to teach her these other things when she's running around? Well, we probably don't want to play this type of music because that gets her excited and will get her to run. But if we did maybe calmer music that encourages her to sit and I'm not saying, okay, everyone needs to work around my kid. But at the same time, if the goal is to help her learn something, well, we have to use her learning style when we teach her. We can't just say you are going to learn it with this learning style, even though it's not your own learning style, because this is how I learn or this is how I want to teach it. We have to help our kids and We have to get to know them in order to do that. And if you think about their environment when you're designing lessons and you think about their ability levels and you think lastly about their personality quirks and that would include learning styles, you're going to be successful in reaching them because you're doing all the prep work ahead of time to prevent some of these disasters which are easily taken care of when you just consider the learner. Every action has a reaction and if the reaction is not positive or it's not what you're hoping for, there's a reason for it. And luckily you are the leader in your classroom. You are the person that can make the change to ensure that every day is a successful learning day. 
In the meantime, say a few prayers for me that I make it out of this phase of my life alive before too many other mama fails. (laughs) But I am much more clear-headed and I have a plan in place. I know I can do better. I'm armed with the information. I'm putting my kid first when I make decisions. I know what she needs. I know how she's going to probably act. And so I'm going to help and partner with teachers and with my husband, wherever the environment is to ensure my child is set up for success. I got this. So do you. Go make the best instructional decisions you've ever made in your career, all because you start with who's learning in front of you. All right, Elite Educators, that's a wrap for this week's podcast on the importance of allowing your students to lead your decision-making so that you can reach them best. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.